You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm Eleanor Rust, Marketing Director at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation and music technology. In recent podcast episodes, Tristra and Dimitri gave some takeaways and recaps of our Music Tectonics conference in October. Today, I'm bringing you into a breakout session so you can sit in on one of the most popular conference panels. Gaming is the new venue brought together four folks who are working at the center of the evolving relationship between music and games, whether they are soundtracking gameplay or creating virtual in-game concerts. You'll hear the voices of moderator Karen Allen, CEO of Infinite Album, Gavin Johnson, head of gaming at Monster Cat, Summer Watson, president of Y Media Company, and Becky Wilson, vice president of BizDev at Mellon. And now, over to Karen Allen at the Music Tectonics Conference. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm super excited about this panel. We have a really interesting group of people here. So thanks to Music Tectonics for putting such a great roster of people together. Um, I'll talk a little bit about what Infinite Album does, um, and then we'll go down and um, get a good beat from each one of these panelists of where they're coming from on this. So Infinite Album is an AI music company. We do infinite streams of copyright-safe, game-reactive, and monetizable music for Twitch streamers. That's sort of phase one of what we do. Um, we are different from a lot of AI music companies because you can't just go to our, our site and make a minute-long piece of music. We are an infinite stream. Um, we sort of built this uh, for Twitch streamers so they could stream for as long as they wanted and have music that constantly changed. Uh, it's monetizable through Twitch because Twitch has bits, which is their currency, so viewers can spend bits to then change music in real time. Um, we're scaling up to uh, go to games at large, and we are creating what we call music as a virtual good. So you'll be able to go into the Fortnite store, the Roblox store, um, Epic Marketplace, any number of game stores, buy music off the rack that would be an infinite stream as a game soundtrack replacement, or make your own um, while you're there. Uh, and it's, for now, it's all of our own sounds and music. Eventually, we'll start working with artists to create sound packs for us. So it will create music infinitely in their style. Um, and uh, the fun part is that uh, people can actually export their vibes. We call them vibes, not songs. They can export their vibes and sell them to other gamers. So we're actually creating a secondary marketplace for AI music. So it's pretty exciting what we have going on. Um, but I'm super psyched to get to the rest of our panel. Gavin, do you want to tell everybody what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, I'm Gavin. I'm the head of gaming at Monster Cat. Uh, I've been at the company, uh, the record label, for uh, almost 11 years now. Uh, we're one of the leading uh, EDM uh, independent record labels globally. Uh, we have a very strong presence uh, within gaming, uh, which is why we're here. Uh, and uh, yeah, we I handle all the sync and partnerships on the gaming side. Uh, we set up uh, long-term partnerships. Uh, it first started out with content creators and then expanded to esports teams and various gaming companies. Uh, but now a lot of our focus is within the game developer and publisher uh, realm. Uh, so we have long-term partnerships set up with Rocket League, Fortnite, uh, Beat Saber, uh, and uh, high-res studios and various other game developers and publishers, which we'll speak on uh, shortly. 
And I'm Summer Watson. I'm a partner president of a company called Volume One Music, which develops young pop artists in a joint venture with Epic Records, and also the president and co-founder of Y Media Company, which is home to um, a young character named Aku, A-K-U, uh, which we launched last February as an NFT. Um, I started my career uh, in free-to-play games at a company called Playdom, which we sold uh, to Disney in uh, 2011. Hi, I'm Becky Wilson. I'm the VP of Business Development at Mellon. Uh, Mellon is a premier metaverse gaming studio, uh, and we currently specialize on building on the Roblox platform. We were the first gaming studio to ever do a virtual concert on the platform with Ava Max, um, and we've done the most amount of uh, virtual concerts versus like any other developer at this point. Uh, but I have an interesting class because I actually started my career as the head of music at Urban Outfitters. So I came from the retail space and then transferred over into this digital space and love it and love building video games and incorporating music into it. Great. Um, is it me or is music and gaming have a really, have a, having a moment right now? I feel like in the last month or two, it, it's the very least, it's sort of been a whole thing. Um, obviously, concerts and Roblox and Fortnite have been making headlines for the past probably two years now. Um, AI music in particular is having a massive moment. I feel like Midjourney and Dolly and all the visual part of that has really opened people's eyes to what's possible with, um, with visuals. Shutterstock just did a massive deal with um, OpenAI, for example. Um, so they're actually going to be selling AI art and compensating the artists um, that whose art was used to train the AI, which is interesting. Um, and, uh, and, and that sort of turns on to like what's possible with music. So I feel like I'm seeing a lot of competition for myself in this space, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, and now we have a Grammy for game music. How bonkers is that? It's really insane. Um, so I feel like it's really sort of coming into its own in terms of you know, not just soundtracks anymore. Like, what's, what's your general thought on that? Um, yeah, I mean, just to get started, uh, music and gaming is definitely having a major moment right now and will continue to do so uh, for many years. Uh, I think it really accelerated with uh, the pandemic uh, because when uh, COVID really started ramping up, uh, touring, we lost touring for two straight years. Uh, and with the loss of touring, uh, artists and record labels and various rights holders needed to find uh, another way to sort of recoup. And the artists themselves really needed to find another way to recoup the revenue that they were losing. Uh, and the best form of media uh, to really find an, engage, like an engaging medium uh, for music is, is gaming. I mean, this is where it's the primary form of consumption, like for the younger generation right now. Uh, so for Monster Cat, I mean, we've been working in gaming for the past uh, 11 years, but uh, we've done a lot of our uh, major deals and a lot of our major partnerships within the past two years due to the COVID pandemic. And it was a perfect marriage because gaming also ramped up really hard uh, with, with the pandemic. So within the past two years, we've done things such as uh, concerts, we've done Fortnite concerts, various forms of DLCs, uh, radio stations within various games like Rocket League. Um, we've even done, dabbled in the things such as battle passes, uh, both based on the Monscap brand and also um, importing artists as playable characters within games and having engaging forms of, uh, like when you're casting the abilities and your ultimates, like uh, the music is incorporated in that as well. Uh, so we've been able to really be as fully creative as possible within gaming uh, with 
the rise of the pandemic. And I think we're gonna keep seeing that being pushed more and more uh, now that we've really reached this foundation for how music can be experienced within games and with the technology also improving as well. Um, so yeah, we're gonna keep, keep seeing this big push uh, as we've been seeing. Um, yeah, I think um, to, to, uh, to, to Gavin's point, um, games have been a place for, uh, for consumption for, for a while now. They've always been social networks, some of our early social networks um, in the form of MMOs. And you know, I know uh, probably several people in the room have stories they can tell of kids in their lives who are exchanging not phone numbers and Instagram handles, but how to meet in Roblox and Fortnite. Um, these have been places that people have been gathering for, for years, and I know for me, for most of my entire life. Um, so it's only natural that we treat them as worlds where people can um, discover music and interact with music and interact with musicians and artists, um, and we've seen a lot of that. Um, I think some of the areas that I get really excited, just having worked with creators my entire career, is a lot of the interesting things happening on the creation side, um, and really just giving um, a set of tools for people to rethink how they not only create music, but even potentially share music. Um, there's, uh, in the NFT world, um, I know a very different world, but there's some really interesting things happening, like um, uh, there's a company called Async Art that's always been really pushing um, the edge of what you can do um, with uh, the blockchain, um, and just thinking about how people can create music, create stems, um, share their stems, and uh, if you're familiar with um, like the notion of generative art or even um, um, the way that people have created these collections that are um, pieces of art put together in different ways. Um, there's things that, that can be done there on the audio side, either on its own, on its own or in, co in um, connection with the visual art. Um, so super excited to see how that will get pushed as more and more um, creative people come into the space and, and frankly that we can break down some of the barriers of um, how people have been pitched um, NFTs or the metaverse um, to date, there's just a lot that um, actually can be really useful and fun when we break through, um, you know, some of the some of the jargon and get back to the basics of what people want to do and how people have fun. Um, and that's what you know I've been creating my entire career. So super excited, um, in particular on the creation side and how that opens up um, um, just new forms of of, uh, of um, creations. I think from our from my point of view, what's really interesting is on an open platform like Roblox, how it expands the potential reach of fans to be able to go and attend a virtual concert without the barrier of money, quite frankly. I also think it's really great in gaming to be able to fully actualize the artist's vision of what that song means and translate that into an immersive experience for the players. So I'm curious, at this, at this point, if an artist wants to work with the game in some way besides just a sync, do they have to be an established artist on a label with someone who has the power to call a game? What are the games looking for when they're looking for an artist to work with? I'm just kind of curious, is, is this, at this point, only for you know, artists who can fill theaters and above? Or is this sort of being, becoming more democratized for you know, any artist to find a way to jump in? Like I know Fortnite, for example, their kind of long term is to give artists, any artist a chance to create something on the platform. But I think now if I, wanted to, if I were managing an artist and I wanted them to do something on Fortnite, I mean, you could tell me, Becky, but it's a pretty heavy lift to create those experiences. So I'm curious, mostly from Becky and Gavin, like, do you have to have the heft 
of a label and tens of millions streams on Spotify and you know a really strong TikTok or really strong Instagram before the games even want to talk to you. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll start. Um, yeah, I mean the short answer is is no. Uh, you can be an artist of any size and really go into any sort of um, major activation within a video game. Uh, at the end of the day, though, it's really going to depend on what the goals of the video game itself is. Um, some video games they, and publishers, they really want the biggest artist possible, they want the biggest flash in the pan activation as, as humanly possible because at the end of the day they want to market the game in that short period of time within music there. Uh, but there are other titles uh, which are huge titles such as Rocket League which is experienced by over 100 million players, uh, hundreds of thousands of players every single day. Uh, where they're starting to build out their title as a pillar of music discovery, where music discovery is a, is a fundamental piece of the game and, and a strategy for the entire company. Uh, so with Rocket League specifically, uh, we've been ingesting uh, tons of music on a recurring basis within the game. And, these, and at Monster Cat, we release artists of all sizes. These could be bedroom producers that are just starting out to the AAAs such as Marshmallow and Cascade, which we've both put uh, within Rocket League, um, and we're putting music within Rocket League at the same time as we're putting the music within the game, so we're treating Rocket League as a distribution platform, just as you distribute music to Spotify, and with that, Rocket League wants to become part of the artist's identities and their stories, uh, so it's actually a huge benefit for the game to blow up a smaller act. So they have an A&R team, just as you would uh, an A&R team at a record label, and they are really trying to find, okay, like who sounds great, who has a great story, who has a great brand, where are they going, and they'll actually put the resources into the artists, similar as they do the record labels. So you can almost think of it as like games are wanting to become more record labels, and record labels are trying to become more like games. Uh, so now more than ever, uh, I find that games are, are wanting to uh, invest in the smaller acts and build them, just as a, as a record label would. Do you think the games are going to want to release music themselves and become a record label, or do you think they're happy just to license? Um, absolutely. Uh, Riot Games is actually a great example of that. Uh, Riot Games just, just launched Riot Music Group. Uh, they've been uh, like kind of running it as an internal team uh, for some years, uh, but they're now releasing music under the Riot Music Group uh, label. Um, but there could be a lot of other uh, titles that kind of have like revel record label like marketing abilities and functions, uh, but they maybe might not dabble as, as a record label, but they definitely want to be as part of a, a, on the investment side and also a part of the stories as a record label would. Uh, I, yeah, feel like, sure. I feel like a lot of companies outside the music industry um, underestimate the complexities of what it means to sign an artist and be responsible for their success in that way. Um, and they think of it just in terms of like the section that they could do. But you know, what about everything else? What about all the paid marketing campaigns? What about you know the YouTube launches? Like, what about all the things that they're not experts in? Um, Becky, I'm curious. What's what's the bar for for doing a deal with you? And do you think if it, if it's a huge bar, do you think it's going to lower? I think it depends on what the label and management is looking for in terms of integration into gaming. Um, if you are talking about building a full avatar based performance, the production timeline on that is easily six months to a year. Um, and there is quite a hefty price tag attached to that because there's a lot that goes into it. And um, I think labels and management are more open to funding an artist that is a bigger caliber with an investment that large in time investment because they know based on previous 
history that there will be payback in some sense. Um, but I do think for developing artists, there's a, there is like what Gavin was saying, there's integration from a sync perspective that will help with discovery and that is a lower lift and easily uh, being able to be like incorporated into a game. I guess Wave might be that sort of middle ground, right? Um, if you're not familiar with Wave XR, um, they take artists and give them full motion body um, capture suits, uh, full body motion capture suits. And then they make an avatar out of that. They put the whole thing on an Unreal Engine. So it's a lot like what they're doing, just a, a sort of easier way of doing it and a quicker way of doing it. And they've got a bunch of worlds that are kind of ready to go, um, but they'll make a world for a John Legend or a Lindsey Sterling or something that's you know big enough to warrant that. Um, they are on all the live stream platforms, um, definitely Twitch. They did a massive thing with The Weeknd on TikTok about, I want to say, a year and a half ago. Um, that was really huge and broke, actually, <laughs> a little bit because it was so big. Um, but that, that might be the mid-range between what you're talking about and like the average person. But you know, the one thing I love about Twitch so much, and I've got a big background with Twitch. I don't, I've never worked with Twitch, but I wrote a book called Twitch for Musicians. It came out before the pandemic, and I've been streaming on Twitch um, for my clients um, since about 2018 or so. And I love the democratization of it, that anybody can stream whatever they want with almost no resources, um, very, very little overhead, and off you go. And it's just a bunch of like grit, basically, to go off and do it. And I was really shocked at how big the music category was on Twitch of just musicians, independent musicians, performing on Twitch. Um, it's free to perform, it's free to watch, it works a little bit like gaming, it's, you know, if you want to have fun, you pay. Um, but you don't have to pay anything to have fun, and having fun is things like subscribing and getting all the custom emoji, or it's you know tipping and seeing little animations on screen, or requesting a song and putting money on that. Um, it's it's sort of a way for music to work its way into the gaming world at large. Um, the, and the, actually, some of the musicians on there have gotten really big because bigger gamers, big gamers have rated them. And a rate is when your stream ends, you can push all of that traffic into another channel all at once. Um, which is kind of like gifting your audience to another channel. Um, there's one in particular I can think of who was doing probably 200 average concurrents, which was good. That's like really good for you know for a music streamer, um, and actually most game streamers too. And they got rated by a really big um, Spanish gamer, and the guy happened to speak Spanish, like Spain, but he's actually speak actually I'm sorry I think he spoke Portuguese. Anyway, he spoke the language, uh, sort of coincidentally, and th all this gamer's audience just lost their minds. And ever since then, he's been like 1,000, 1,200 concurrents, which uh, if I could ballpark it, I would say he's probably doing over 100 grand a year if he can maintain that easily, um, which is not bad for a guy you've never heard of and probably never will, you know, who doesn't care if you ever heard of him because he's doing just well He's doing just fine on Twitch. Thank you very much. Um, so it's, it's sort of incredible how you know even in these in these sort of gaming environments where it's not really even intended for music. You know, there's, it's sort of like the weed coming through the sidewalk and finding its way and everything. Um, anyway, um, let's talk about licensing. What do you feel like is broken or working? With licensing, what do you feel is maybe the blockers that games have um, or even labels have? And I don't mean just syncs for putting songs in radio. I mean, when you're doing these deals, you know, what, what are the major hurdles that you feel need to be crossed and what are maybe some solutions for that? 
Sure. Um, yeah, uh, there's a few things to break down here. Um, one of it, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, rights are incredibly difficult to overcome and, and still are. Uh, I mean, it, even though it could be just a sync, uh, the sync portion of maybe a larger deal, whether it be a brand deal or a concert or some sort of really deep integrated music experience uh, can be completely blocked creatively on the, on the rights portion, uh, particularly within the composition uh, slash publishing uh, rights, uh, because uh, on the composition side, you can have a million different writers, different band members, you could have different um, major publishers on, on each individual record that all want their own deals, they all have their own, um, they all have their own blockers and non-starters and, and precedents that they don't want to break. Um, so it's a really difficult challenge when you're dealing with, uh, especially hit records that have so many, you could have like 20 writers on a record, uh, on a hit record. So um, it's really difficult to, to overcome that challenge. Uh, we try the best we can at MonsterCat to solve that by having the master and publishing uh, fully controlled on the majority of our catalog, which allows for full creativity within the deals that we do. Um, but we're still a very long way from the industry at large sort of like breaking down their barriers to, so that we're more artist first uh, when approaching deals within the gaming space and al also preparing for the future of media within games, whether it be metaverses, their platforms, that the games themselves. Uh, we need to understand that games now have a 10 to 15 to 20 year life cycle that we need to prepare for. Um, so those are things that we're really thinking about and, and trying to solve uh, at MonsterCat because we, we can do that with the records we control, but we also have a ton of other records that we don't fully control that we need to navigate. Um, so the, the rights issue um, is a challenge. The other major issue that we deal with is just education process. I mean, we've been dealing with this for the past 10 years, just like trying to really educate the artists, the artist teams, like their managers, the agents, everybody that's involved from the entire chain that like, hey, this is gonna really benefit you. These are the case studies of, of, of why we think this is very beneficial. This is where consumption is going, especially with younger audiences. Um, because uh, a lot of the times, like it's, it's really difficult for um, maybe uh, people who have been in the industry very long that are used to different ways to really uh, adopt new media such as gaming and other various forms of media that are um, developing such as Web3, which is a big one that's, that's upcoming, uh, that's very important and will also intertwine within gaming uh, in a big way in the future. Um, so thing, those are probably the two biggest blockers currently, but of course uh, another major blocker is just getting all of the stakeholders within a certain project on board, because like once you get everybody looped in on a project, it's the artist teams, it's the record label, it's the game developers and publishers themselves which have their own timelines and various uh, challenges to deal with such as internal development timelines and whatever engine they're on. There's all these hurdles that you have to do to like create the perfect storm of chaos and bring it into a, a fully functioning project. Um, so yeah, those are, the, those are the major things you need to watch out for. There's of course a, another black hole of, of things such as content ID you need to overcome. Uh, so yeah, all stuff we're trying to, to solve here at the company. <laughs> the game companies just when they hear this stuff just like go screaming away and you like forget it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of gaming companies just won't touch music, for sure. Yeah. Um, but 
I, I think it's going to improve over time. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of technological developments. Uh, people are learning that like gaming is here. It's a way to get your, your music heard. It's one of the deepest ways of, of engagement uh, for your music as well and for you to be discovered and adopted as an artist for, for new fans. Um, so yeah, it's certainly improving, but we still have all these like ancient issues that we need to solve for within, within the music industry for sure. Yeah, and I've um, uh, tackled that problem from the other side at gaming companies, um, including I was at Episode and we put out um, a game with Pitch Perfect movies. So you, as you can imagine, a ton of music needed to go into that. Um, and the biggest challenge really is the business operations, the just the manualness of it. Um, there's the web of people who own the rights, um, getting to them, knowing who they are, getting their approval. And frankly, there were times when we had experts putting it all together, and then it came down to like personal relationship, right? And hey, Summer, I think you know this person. Can you call this person? And we'd run the gamut from, you know, on one end, games being, um, frankly, some of the more affordable sinks that I've seen, to um, somebody just getting the rights from every single person on the song except for the one person who came and said, yes, if you give me 5% of the equity of the company, right? So it's, there's no, there's very little predictability. And so for a game, especially trying to hit um, a timeline of releasing, especially, you know, especially something as high level as we had with a big IP to really make sure we hit those um, dates and can take advantage of the marketing that would come with it, that unpredictability could be a real blocker to us wanting to go and do that again and again, like a, at scale especially, right? The getting um, all the way deep and incorporating a song into the core of the game, into the core of the story around the game, and then finding out that you can't use it that just blows your development timelines. Um, so there was, there's challenges on both sides. I've been on both sides, obviously. And as a technologist, the number one thing I'm looking forward to is when we can break down some of the, the email chains that come around this, right? Because a lot of this actually could be committed to um, a database, whether it's open or not, to make it much easier to find people to understand what their constraints may be, to maybe not even approach them or get wedded to a particular song in the first place. Um, so that, that, that feels like a huge challenge, um, bringing the two together. Yeah, and it's more than just licensing for, you know, playing a song in the game, right? There's lots of ways to monetize that. Like Gavin just talked about doing virtual goods around some of the artists. So that must, that must really complicate it even more. Or maybe even help. I mean, if you are doing also a virtual good deal on top of everything else or other kind of monetization within the game, does that help the licensing conversation at all? Um, it, it definitely can. If there's uh, benefits beyond the sync uh, that will benefit the artist, that's definitely uh, definitely helps the conversation. I mean, uh, sync is just like, and the music rights are just one of the hurdles that you can get over. But if you're starting including things such as uh, IP, like for example, if the artist is being put as a playable character within the game, or there's other ways that uh, the music will be promoted beyond the title. Sometimes uh, you can work with the platforms themselves, such as like an Xbox or a PlayStation. Maybe they are going to boost a playlist that will be on the front uh, of, of the page that will boost the record, or there's going to be some sort of very creative uh, piece of content, like a cinematic or a trailer uh, that will be promoted, or if there's maybe 
external uh, activations that will happen as well that they can tack on where like maybe an artist is going to be playing uh, the world championship halftime show for a particular title in its esports tournament. Uh, there's huge ways that you can really scale uh, a deal to make like the things such as the sync, which should be a lot simpler, but it can sweeten the deal for everybody involved uh, when you start creating an entire package around a, a particular project. Sure. Becky, what do you run up against when you're working with labels and managers and trying to get them to do you know, these sort of like larger activations within Roblox, and I'm assuming, you know, other metaverses as you, as you grow. What are the sort of the, the regular pain points that keep coming up, and how have you found best to overcome them? I think it's everything that Gavin and Summer kind of already said. I think the biggest pain that I've noticed, especially when you're working with the major labels, mm -hmm. is this is like a new frontier for them, and none of them want to necessarily take the risk. What do they want? Do they want promotion? Do they want money? Like what's they want more important? Both, they want and both. that's the struggle. Because right now, the way that Roblox is set up and the monetization and the, it, you kind of, I think there's ways to get both, but from what has been done on the platform, it's really been one or the other. And so you have their sales team that definitely want to monetize the event, they want to make the money back, but then you have a bigger story of a marketing and impressions. Like, the most amazing thing about Roblox is they just released their September actuals and they have a daily active audience of 57 plus million. It's massive. Um, and so there is a wide reach there and a way to build um, like an early fan, I guess is the way that I'll say that nicely. Um, but that's the struggle is the labels, it's new for them. So they don't always see the benefit and then they don't want to be necessarily the first ones to try. Um, and so that's been the biggest struggle from my point of view on the development side. Let's talk about metaverses. I saw some stats recently that kind of blew my mind. I was on um, Bill Wordy's um, full rate no cap. If you're not on that newsletter, it's really, really cool. He basically, Bill Wordy used to be editor in chief at Billboard magazine, and now he's running um, the Bandier program music program at Syracuse University, and he can't help it write because he's a writer. So he has a newsletter called um, Full Rate No Cap, where he f reads everything and distills it for you in a little you know, thing every day. Uh, it's great. Anyway, so he found this stuff. DAP Radar says that um, the Sandbox and Decentraland have less than 1,000 daily active users. And they define daily active users as people who come every day and make a transaction, which honestly is kind of a high bar for a daily active user. So Decentraland pushed back on that and said, no, 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 we have 8,000 daily active users, which still seems to me to be really low, because doesn't Decentraland have like tens of millions of users, they claim? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's that high. I know Sandbox certainly is somewhere in like the low tens of millions of, of users that, that they claim they have. Um, so that was one thing that came up. And then the Wall Street Journal says that Meta's Horizon Worlds um, has 200,000 monthly active users. Their target was 500,000, but most don't return after the first month, and only 9% of the worlds are visited by at least 50 people. So we contrast that, and these are metaverse games, metaverse environments. Contrast that with what's happening on Roblox, which is a metaverse as well. Um, and Minecraft, which is a metaverse. Um, so is this new metaverse, these new metaverse games, is, is this just fluff? Like, is, is, um, is there a there there? Do you think any of the traffic that is 
happening so much on Minecraft and, and Roblox and so forth is ever going to find its way to these other metaverses? Um, or is this, uh, why are they so popular and these new ones aren't? Is it first mover status? Is it just a better experience? Uh, I'm really curious what your guys' take on, on metaverses. I do think, like, just real quickly, is Roblox is not new. And I feel like people forget that, like, because it just recently became really popular as a term and everyone knows what it is. But they've been building their audience for, I believe, over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And same thing with Minecraft. And so Sandbox really became public, what, during the pandemic? So it's like a year or two. I think part of it is they're just growing. They're in chapter one of their book and their story. And Roblox is probably like a little bit more farther along in the storyline. Um, I could talk about this for a long time, but um, <laughs> I would start with, uh, it's one of my least favorite terms, um, in part because I don't know what it is, and I don't know that anybody knows what it is. Um, it's like one of those jargon things to me that's thrown out. Um, yesterday, someone described it to me as being VR. Um, a lot of people I know think of it as being this like magical place where everything is um, connected, um, but today, like you just said, right? X is a metaverse, X is a meta. No, those are universes. A meta, if you're thinking of a metaverse is all connected and I can take my digital goods from one Unreal built game to another or even better, outside of Unreal to another um, universe, like that would be then metaverse in the way people are thinking of that decentralized. Um, and you know, I come from a place where building games and we're talking about millions of DAUs. So I, you know, to me, um, that those are the kinds of things that gets that get me excited is touching a lot of people in really big and meaningful ways, um, and so yeah, it's early for sure. Um, coming in the space um, for Aku that that we came out of, um, almost immediately people came to us and said, "When's a game? You're going to build a game, right? You're going to raise a bunch of money to build a game or a metaverse." And being a gamer and a game and someone who's built games uh, immediately push back on that as, as deep as I could. Uh, for us, we're building an IP. Um, um, and it's not, it's not a you know, bull run cycle thing. It's not a NFT thing. Um, NFTs for us are, is one channel of distribution. It was the first way that Aku was introduced, but there's much more that we're doing. Games can be one. And if and when it is, I'm not building a game studio to build our own game. I would love for it to be an Aku world within Fortnite or for us to work really close, closely with a game studio who is expert at building these, um, which I know to be very difficult experiences to build, um, to be lasting and have that you know, be a really deep partnership. Um, but I think uh, the starting with like, what is a metaverse is just a fundamental thing that we all need to think and really speak honestly about. Um, we talk about at Aku and Akuverse, which um, will straddle everything from in real life. We've done huge installations in real life, exhibits, um, bringing 30,000 people together around Aku. Uh, we do digital, obviously, in the way that we introduced Aku through um, short animated videos. Um, you'll see here shortly, very, very shortly, we have built a small world, um, really NFT gallery for our audience um, in Unreal um, and, uh, and physical. Um, so uh, we've built in Unreal from day one, uh, very uh, strategically for us. We want to be able to build these um, incredibly high quality assets that we can then reuse in a lot of different places. Um, so as one example, we built, uh, if you look at the last few chapters, uh, we did 10 chapters of Aku when we launched him. Um, he's wearing a yellow backpack in almost every episode, but in the last two chapters, he's wearing a backpack that was actually 
um, designed by Pusha T. Uh, he designed it for our physical um, exhibition exhibit at Art Basel last year. And so that same asset um, that started out as um, being designed for a physical piece ended up in a hologram uh, within our physical space in Art Basel. You could pre-order it, um, have the physical piece sent to you, and then the very same backpack is appearing on Aku in a chapter. Um, so to me, that feels like our universe, and great if it can be connected to other ones, especially other ones being built on Unreal, and potentially that becomes the beginning of a metaverse, of being able to move assets between different worlds. Yeah. Um, but I think today it's premature to talk about what it is if people are really using it, VR hasn't taken off for quite a while. Yeah. Um, One thing I've noticed is that the, yeah, a lot of the new metaverse games are very NFT-based, like all the virtual guards are NFTs. And I know for sure gamers on Twitch don't want anything to do with NFTs. Yep. I can't even mention it. If I even have any sniff of NFT on my company, I will not get users on Twitch. I'm with them. Like, so I'm wondering if that is sort of like soiling it a little bit for metaverse games. And while she answers or anybody answers that question, we're going to take questions. Um, so just raise your hand, and Sarah will find you. Oh, um, one for me? Anybody who wants to address that while she's finding someone to answer a question. Okay, yeah, so just really, I'll try to keep it quick. Um, yeah, it's games. It's whatever games it is, whatever qualifier you put before, it's a game. It has to be fun first. And I think the struggle that's come with crypto games, blockchain games, NFT games, however it's described at the most base, not everybody obviously, but for the general audience, it's like NFT first. And it's how do I play to earn or make money? Let's make sure the game is fun first. Um, and we struggled with the same thing in the early days of play to earn, I mean, play to free to play, uh, when people thought you're making people grind and you're um, destroying games. And I think, I think our company tried to go about it a different way where we brought in a lot of classic and frankly legendary sometimes game designers and said help us create a fun game and then we'll optimize it with these free to play mechanics. Um, and it, it's a different business model, but that's the business model, that's not the game. Let's design the fun first and I think it solves a lot of other problems. Great, okay, we're gonna take our first audience question. Hey, uh, my name is Harrison. I have a quick question just about NFTs since we're already on that topic. Um, do you think that NFTs are a thing of the past or, the, or that there will be a thing of the past? Do you think that the name might just evolve and, the, and there's going to be more utility behind that? Um, and then a follow-up to that would just be, if you do believe that they will remain in some capacity, how do we shake the stigma around the negative name NFT? Yeah, I mean, the name is definitely doesn't help. Um, I've been wanting to not use that name since day one. Um, I was uh, first introduced to NFTs in like 2017 or so through CryptoKitties, crypto and I wasn't, to me, it, it didn't make sense at the time. It wasn't that CryptoKitties hadn't done a great thing. It's just for me, I thought, I'm always thinking about the audience, and I thought, I don't know how anyone's going to understand this right now, how it's really going to go anywhere. Um, so short answer is I don't believe that what we've seen in the last year will be what we see in the future. Um, but I do believe that digital assets and digital goods, digital collectibles that you can own will be a thing, and it's on... Um, it's on people who want to build things to make that make sense and to fit into people's lives. I think we should always be looking at how to meet people where they are, even if it's you know a couple steps ahead, but not try to force people into something that they don't need in their lives or that doesn't bring um, enjoyment to their lives. Um, and so back to my 
free-to-play games, those were digital goods. I remember when we were having some early conversations with uh, people who were not involved in our day-to-day, -day, and they said, you guys are crazy. We don't understand. Why would anyone spend money on this virtual Christmas tree? This is stupid. Um, and, uh, you know, years later, we're seeing it is a thing. Now the next step is I can actually own this thing, like truly own it and see it in my wallet and potentially use it for other things, whether in a game or even at worst, it's a keepsake for a good time I had before that game got shut down. Those were some of my hardest days in those days is when we had to shut down a game because it wasn't performing for us anymore as a business, but I knew that people had spent hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in it, and that just went nowhere the day we shut it down. Um, so I think there's something, and I think we've seen some, a lot of excitement recently, obviously, around Reddit um, and a lot of credit given to Reddit not using that terminology, which I love and I was always excited about, but I don't think that's necessarily why it took off. It's not just changing the name that made it take off. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, they were, they integrated um, technically NFTs into their platform and uh, were able to onboard three million new wallets um, using that. Okay, we have another, might be our last question, but I'll go ahead, there you go. Hi, uh, my name is Sam. Um, it, it does seem like Every few months we hear news that kind of pits music against gaming um, in the sense of like takedown notices or, you know, licensing is a huge issue like you've talked about. Um, and it seems like usually it's a large artist or a label like Monster Cat who can overcome those types of things to get music and gaming harmonious. What are ways that small or indie or like the, you know, the long tail of musicians who care about music and, and gaming and want to get their music into gaming, create that relationship. Are there ways, are there, are there distribution channels that they can take advantage of? Or is it really like a bespoke custom deal type of thing for most situations or, or just serendipity? Are there ways that if I'm an indie artist, I can, I can approach, you know, uh, Roblox? Um, what are those, what are those things out there? Yeah, well, I think, um, <clears throat> it's, there's a lot of opportunity out there where I think people are not looking, uh, especially independent artists or, or newer artists or labels that are looking to, uh, break into the gaming space. Uh, something that's interesting is that, uh, indies, like independent game developers are being funded more than ever before. Um, a lot of AAAs and large gaming companies are realizing that like, hey, like I don't want to spend $300 million on one single game anymore. Uh, so they will go and fund a bunch of indie developers to sort of hedge their investments. Uh, and that's why we're seeing a lot of growth, particularly within the indie space. I'm also noticing a lot of government uh, bodies are investing in indie developers more than ever before. Uh, and a lot of these indies want just as good as music as a lot of the AAA developers are, are um, making right now. So I, I think uh, you could just do a lot of, you could go to a lot of events such as PAX or an E3 or, or ways where you can, or areas where you can find any developers or you can just reach out uh, to them over the internet and just see like, hey, like what are your music goals? Are you looking for, for music? Uh, I'm not sure what context of music you're speaking of, maybe it's compositions, like bespoke compositions, or you're a rights holder or something, but either way, uh, I think you could reach out to a lot of uh, indie developers right now uh, that are looking for uh, quality music. Uh, in the context of Roblox, uh, you could reach out to independent experiences, because uh, Roblox is a platform where 
Uh, it's independent experiences created by independent development teams. It's just a platform to build on. Uh, and you can go and, and directly reach out to them and say, like, hey, like, are you looking for bespoke music? They actually integrated a feature recently which allows you to um, upload music just for specific experiences, where in the past it used to be if you upload music, it's available for all developers. So now there could be a new uh, avenue to reach out to these uh, experiences independently and say, hey, like, I want to make your new soundtrack. And I'm sure there's a lot of uh, more uh, upcoming experiences that would really want that. Yeah. Cool. I think our time is Hi. up. Um, we didn't even get to TikTok gaming, which I'm just going to leave you with this thought. It's the sleeping giant of gaming. Do your own research on that one. Um, but thank you all for coming. Um, I hope you learned a lot. Um, I certainly did. And um, I'll hand it back to Stephanie. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.